Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's August 23rd, 1946, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that The Big Sleep finally hit cinemas, more than a year after production had actually finished. It was the long-awaited adaptation of the Raymond Chandler detective novel of the same name, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Production had taken place in 1945, and when they came to release it, the studio realised they still had a backlog of all these war-themed films that had been churned out. And there was another reason that they uh, wanted to delay this film, which was that the screen chemistry between Bogart and Bacall was found to have been so spicy and intoxicating to viewers in the previous film that they'd, uh, that they'd filmed together that they wanted to add in some extra scenes with even more raunch and naughtiness. Yeah, because filming of the first version of The Big Sleep actually started in 1944, And there was kind of like a version, a cut of that, which wasn't released to the public until 1997, in which Howard Hawks, the director, had included a little bit more plot exposition and a little bit less sizzling between Bogey and Bacall, because at the time he didn't know that's what people wanted. And I must say, having watched the film for the first time last night, it would have helped to have both. You know, I liked the flirting, (laughs) but I could have done with the nine-minute scene that got cut out in which uh, Humphrey Bogart and a detective sit down and explain what is actually happening in the criminal case they're supposed to be solving, because I have no clue. Yeah, so the, the, the plotlessness, well, not the, it's got lots of plot. It's got too anything, much plot. Got too much plot, and none of them really resolve in a, in a clear way. So it actually was a bit of a turning point for Hawks in his sort of artistic development, because he said afterwards that he realised, I'm never going to worry about being logical again. He was the one who decided, we'll shave some time off. And one of the kind of apocryphal stories about the making of the film is that the screenwriters themselves are pretty confused because the the book is confusing-ish. It's complicated, but you can follow it. Uh, But the film is pretty much opaque for a variety of reasons. So they rang Raymond Chandler and asked him who killed the chauffeur. And he apparently said, oh, it's in the book, you idiots, blah, 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 blah. And then he got back in touch and said, I've actually read the book and it's not clear and I don't really know. But also the whole business of inserting more flirting. It's not as if there's not enough flirting. The way you said that just sounded like a title in itself. That's a book, (laughs) isn't it? Inserting more flirting. (laughs) Avoiding the censors, 1942 to 1946. Mm. But there's so much flirting going on. Everyone that Bogart encounters, just like randomly, all of the women at least, they all hit on him and have a go. And I was just like, wait, why does she like yes. him? He just walk- I mean, I'm glad yeah, you Bogart. said this because this is exactly... So th- I think we both want to ask this question to Rebecca, who is the kind of oldie worldy <laughs> yeah. movie buff amongst us. Yeah. So yeah, I watched this. And I know it's kind of pre-James Bond detective PI shtick. Same thing, really. Women throw themselves at him and that's part of the, the straight male fantasy watching it. But I was watching it and thinking, for a start, he's... You, you guys felt to say not conventionally attractive, Humphrey Bogart, right? He said he yeah. was 38 yeah. and I laughed out loud. I mean, he was 46 when he was filming it, but after that many fags, he, I mean, he looked 52, right? So there's that. Um, 
And then it's just everyone. So the bookstore clerk, the gambling casino, cigarette girls, they all throw themselves at him, despite him going around calling all women sugar and angel and kid. Why, Rebecca? <laughs> Why are we supposed to believe that everyone fancies Humphrey Bogart? Well, I think maybe the sort of the chemistry thing, I think maybe went to the filmmakers' heads a little bit, you know? Like they had this idea of like... Bogey and Bacall are burning up the screen. Well, you know, why waste time when he's not on screen with Bacall? He can burn the screen up with anybody. Well, the weirdest moment of random women coming on to Humphrey Bogart in this movie that I found was the very enjoyable scene with a very glamorous lady I've since discovered her name is Joy Barlow, uh, who's playing a sexy cab driver. Unaccountably. I don't know how many female cab drivers there were at the time in New York, but anyway, he manages to get in the back with one who then makes loads of puns about taking his ride... (laughs) And then she says, listen, if you ever need a ride again, and he says day or night, she says, night, I work during the day, wink. <laughs> like, what? And it's then he not- gets out. <laughs> well, the female taxi driver is actually one of the hangovers from the fact that it was made during World War Two. So okay. the idea that obviously all the women were taking up all these men's jobs. And also you can see there's like petrol rationing stickers on the back of Humphrey Bogart's car in the film. Right. So the mm. you know audiences at the time would have recognised that those were sort of leftover elements. But yes, I agree that what a lot of people like about detective films is trying to solve the crime. And this is genuinely one where you couldn't possibly mm. solve the crime, even mm. if you were the best detective in the world. But that's because some vital pieces are missing because of the Hayes Code, which right. was the code of censorship in place at the time. So a crucial fact to start even piecing the plot together is to know that it revolves around nude photos that have been taken of the younger Sternwood sister and are being sold by a professional pornographer. However, you know, of course you submit that script in 1944 <laughs> and you get told, you know, they can't be naked photos, he can't be a pornographer. And so it ends up, they keep talking about, she's got those photos of her sitting in a Chinese chair in a Chinese dress. <laughs> what could be like, more filthy? And? A Chinese chair. <laughs> Well, I start thinking, is a Chinese chair some kind of sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> There's also apparently in the novel a secret gay lover as well, which I imagine just wasn't let out of mm. the gates. The thing is, though, that there was probably a choice of the filmmakers as well, because if you watch something like The Maltese Falcon, that was made before, but they clearly code one of the henchmen as very gay in that film. So you could do it if you wanted to. I just think there was so much going on already that they didn't really know what to do. William Faulkner, the you know, the Pulitzer Prize winning author was the lead screenwriter. And this led to um, a kind of funny incident because he was obviously all of his books were set in Mississippi and he didn't like living in Hollywood. So he asked Howard Hawks, the director, if he could work from home. Howard Hawks assumed he meant from the apartment in Hollywood that they'd rented for him and was like, of course, and then received like a letter from him being like, here I am in Oxford, Mississippi. I'll be sending you a draft in the post. (laughs) I think the best scene probably for like iconic value is the one that was added during the post-production between Bogey and Bacall where they have their famous horse racing exchange. The climax, if you will, of that exchange is probably the raunchiest part where they're comparing each other to horses in a you know obviously in a in a sort of a lightly erotic way and (laughs) Bogart says I can't tell till I've seen you over a distance of ground you've got a touch of class but I don't know how far you can go to which she says a lot depends on who's in the saddle Mm. that's pretty raunchy it's like clearly raunchy it's one one example where you're like oh sex (laughs) (laughs) I think all of my favorite bits are about booze (laughs) like all of the best lines are about you know, Sternwood says to Bogart, um, I've just mixed up the actor and the character, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you like your brandy? And uh, and Bogart goes, just with brandy, or in another <laughs> line he goes, how do you like your brandy, sir? And he says, in a glass. I'm like, yes. <laughs> it's amazing how much alcohol there is in this film, actually. Honestly, like, 
10 minutes into watching this film, I poured myself a Disarono over ice. That's the closest I could get to what Bogart was drinking. It was obviously a lot more sugary than whatever he had. But it, made, it put me in mind. As like, old films, this is why I shouldn't watch old films because I'll become a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> well, you know, in those days, it was very hard to tell a drinking problem apart from just being a normal person. I think that's what's nostalgic um, about it, isn't it? Like any opportunity, have a drink. Like middle of the day meeting, yeah. business meeting with someone who's supposed to be guarding you for security. Would you like some hard alcohol? Sure. <laughs> There's a water cooler in this film. I was astonished by that. Because if yes. you ask me, when was the water cooler invented? When did we first start seeing water coolers in North American offices? I would have guessed sometime in the late 1970s. There it is, in 1946, being <laughs> treated like a normal thing. I was over there buying a water cooler. I was like, wow, you had a water <laughs> during the war. You had a water cooler. I didn't know that. <laughs> is it one of those ones with the tiny, the tiny cones? It's been a while since I've watched A Big Sleep, but there's another film from that era that I remember being surprised there was water what? coolers, but they wow. had like the, the tiniest tiny paper cones. No, I thought tiny cones was a 1990s gym invention. Well, you didn't, you didn't need much water. You know, you just needed enough to sort of drop in your whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to cleanse your breath between cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Despite all of these weirdnesses, though, it is hailed as a masterpiece, isn't it? People think of it as the ultimate film noir. Yeah, which is really weird because it's not technically really a film noir. Visually, it doesn't really have those sort of dark shadows and sharp angles that you would actually associate with a film noir. It's more of the ultimate detective story, I guess. There's also whole sections where there's nothing really visual happening. I was amazed by how theatrical one of the scenes was. It went on for like 12 minutes, just like a two-hander back and forth. You would go as far to say like sloppily directed. And then suddenly some gunfire happened and Bogey goes rushing out the room and he's on the street and there's guns going off. And I kind of felt like that was Howard Hawks almost like slipping the rug from under you, being like, mm. look, I'll show you what a movie can do. Shadows, car chases, bangs. That makes perfect sense because Raymond Chandler, I think, was the one who said, if in doubt, have a man walk in with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. His enemies continued to believe that he could make himself invisible, although he was not able to make himself invisible at a crucial moment. Love the show? Support the show! Patreon.com slash Retrospectors! Part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. 